Good day to you all, new beginnings. It's really exciting, isn't it? Amen. I'm really looking forward to it um, and uh, looking forward to bringing the word today for us uh, as an encouragement that it might encourage us and bring conviction where conviction needs to happen as well. And we're going to be starting in the book of Ephesians. If you would turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Oops. Let's see here. The letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1. Now, this isn't a, a, an epistle written... In, while in prison in Rome, as Ephesians 3.1 states, Ephesians 4.1, Ephesians 6.20, and it was directed towards Gentile believers, as 3.1 states, between, somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D. And it was a large city at the time, lo- located in, at, on the Aegean Sea, uh, what is now present-day Turkey. Now, Ephesus was known for occultic practices. It was known for occultic pra- practices and the temple of Artemis. And if we look back, we don't have to turn there, but if we look back to the account of Acts 19, that this was Paul's third missionary journey to uh, Ephesus, about Twelve men were baptized at this time during his ministry there. He reasoned in the synagogue for three months about the kingdom of God. He reasoned daily for about two years in the hall of Tyrannus. God was healing people through Paul, casting out demons. And we have the seven sons of Sceva account there too. Those were Jewish exorcists uh, and, uh, who were trying to cast out demons and, and would say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And uh, if you remember the account, you know, the demon inside the man said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man overcame them all. And fear fell on all. And the name of Jesus was extolled. And there was a book burning. Fifty pieces of silver worth of books. Occultic books and magic books. Verse 20. One of my favorite verses in that chapter. And the word of the Lord uh, continued to increase and prevail mightily in Acts 19. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And it also has the account in Acts 19 of of Demetrius, the silversmith, uh, um, the shrines of Artemis that he would make, and Paul spoiling the business, proclaiming, quote, uh, that God's, God's made with Hands are not God's, as verse 26 states, and it caused a riot. This gives somewhat of a background to the culture 
of Ephesus with how they thought, giving us a picture of the challenges for the church as well. Now, the purpose of writing the Ephesian Ephesian church is not stated precisely. The reason. Like some books of the Bible, such as Galatians, it states real clearly at the beginning, addressing the church turning to a different gospel. Chapter 6, 21 to 22 uh, of Ephesians, Paul mentions sending Tychicus to encourage, generally, to encourage the body of Christ, but of which could include the letter to the Ephesians itself. We can get other reasons by inference through the text itself as we work through Ephesians as well. The text that we're looking at today most certainly is an encouragement, largely reminding us who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ And beyond that, looking at the context of culture, of the culture of the Ephesians, and new converts coming out of that occultism, etc., it may be something more. You know, I think about Jonathan, you know, uh, Mahalski, in the Ugandan Ugandan culture. You know, the prosperity gospel. It's horrible over there. Uh, promiscuity, witchcraft, etc. You know, different ideas coming in to the church with people coming out of such things, surrounded by such things, some basic things need to be reestablished and regularly. You know, look at our culture, much the same. You know, and we live in a culture also including works-based mentality, this, this works-based mentality that uh, infuses the church. If I, that, that thought that if I do good enough that God will accept me as far as justification goes. Uh, one of the basic needs of any congregation is a reminder of the sovereignty of God in salvation or, or the supreme uh, power or authority of God in salvation and the sovereignty of God in keeping us in a works-based world mind slash mindset that we're surrounded with. It can creep into our thinking unawares. You know, good works are not the are the fruit. The good works are the fruit of genuine salvation, not the means of salvation, nor the means of keeping us saved. You know, this type of works-based mentality that it depends on me and what I've done or am doing, rather than what Christ has done and is doing, can lead to Pride or despair can lead to pride or despair. You know, we can think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And it can also lead us into a place of despair because 
we can never measure up to God's standard. And Paul relieves this pressure slash burden with the truth of God's word, beginning with God blessing us in Christ. In Christ being the key phrase in verses 1 through 14, which we'll work uh, over throughout the weeks. Let's read Ephesians 1, 1 through 3. Actually, let's do through 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now first we have Paul's common introduction. Right away, Paul acknowledges the sovereignty of God in him being appointed an apostle, quote-unquote, by the will of God. This was not Paul's choosing. But God, by his grace, radically transformed the disposition of Paul's heart, once at war with God, in sin, consenting to the deaths of Christians, now redeemed by God, equipping him for his calling. God equipping him for his calling. Now, he addresses the letter to the church, which is the saints in Ephesus. Those who, by the grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone, soli deo gloria, were transformed by God as well. Hearts of stone. That who once followed the course of this world, who carried out the sinful desires of the mind and flesh, who followed the prince of the power of the air, Satan. <clears throat> who were by nature children of God's wrath needing a new nature, needing to be born again, born of God. If you are in Christ, this was once you and I as well. And we'll get more into that uh, in chapter 2. But suffice it to say for now, Paul addresses it to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. Indeed, it's to the faithful that the verses which follow will apply. They do not apply to those who are claiming to be in the faith yet are living in sin. 
practicing unrighteousness. As 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 states, they are deceiving themselves. And I myself was that man at one time. Let's read Ephesians, uh, just verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a common greeting slash prayer of Paul's. Not the grace and peace that this world gives, which is fleeting, but the grace and peace that God gives no matter what the storms of life. That peace which passes all understanding, as Philippians 4, 7 states. And verse 3 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with being in a family member's family and, as, and are as a result a recipient, either right now or sometime in the future, of some blessing. Usually in the form of property or heirlooms or whatever. Now, illustrations can be helpful. They can be helpful, but never perfect. And so we have to be careful. They have their limits. For instance, illustrating the Trinity should never be done, period. Just don't even try. You're going to fall into error. I'm sure your dad probably has told you guys that quite a bit. <laughs> uh, don't do it. Um, the illustration of being blessed by a family with an inheritance also has its weaknesses. You know, our family can bless us with an inheritance, but I could pass away. You know, family can change their mind. Oh, you blew it. No more for you, right? The inheritance can be a source of contention. The inheritance itself is corruptible. The inheritance or blessing can be only enjoyed while alive. Not so with God's blessing in Christ. There's a few things I want to note about verse 3 that are antithetical to our illustration if taken too far or too literally. Paul pronounces blessing to, quote, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not pronouncing blessing upon himself, trusting in his own righteousness. He was trusting in the righteousness of Christ, who is the mercy of God. Let's turn to Luke 18. We're going to turn, we're going to read uh, 9 through 
14, Luke 18, 9 through 14, states this. He also told this parable, that's Jesus, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified or declared righteous rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, back to Ephesians 1, 3. Those who are the blessed are in Christ. Not in a particular denomination and or man. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1. We're just going to read verses 10 to 13. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13 states this. And I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each, of, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Being in Christ, being in Christ alone is what matters. He, the Father, point three, uh, as far as Ephesians uh, goes in verse three, He, the Father, has blessed us. He has blessed us in Christ. Ephesians 
It doesn't say he will bless us. His blessing is an quote-unquote already but not yet present reality for the Christian. He has blessed us, but, will, but which will more fully be realized in the age to come. He has blessed us with, quote-unquote, every spiritual blessing. If you are in Christ here today, you do not lack any spiritual blessing. And number five, it's a spiritual blessing. It's a spiritual blessing. It's not a BMW or a private jet, as some false prosperity gospels would have you believe. And six, it's in the heavenly places untouched by this world, incorruptible. Let's turn to 1 Peter. First Peter 3 through 5. 1, 3 to 5, sorry. And it states this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And as such, he has blessed us in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. And do you believe this? Do you believe it? Is your thinking aligned with God's word on this? Let's read uh, 3 and 4 together of Ephesians 1. One more time here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He, the Father, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. You know, your parents most likely planned or at least provided the means to have you outside of your will. In a much more definitive way, God has chosen us in him 
before the foundation of the world. Man has not willed this. It's outside and beyond the reach of man. It is God's doing, His sovereign decree, before time, space, and matter were created. You know, your parents probably also had plans to, uh, for you to be raised to be a good, successful man or woman, as they might have pictured in their minds. Now, how did they do? Um, some of you young kids have a lot of growing to do, but most likely if you're older, you know, you, you might turn out to be or do something that they never even imagined. God, however, chose us, quote, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, some may think he failed at that one. You might look at your lives and think that. And you would be right if it wasn't for that phrase, quote-unquote, in him, in Christ. He is conforming us to his image until the day of glory. You may be familiar with 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. King James adds, in him. All these things are predicated on the phrase, in him. Without being in him, there's no hope for anyone. So, quote, well, if we're truly in Christ, does that mean I can go and do whatever I please? By no means. Romans 6, 2 says, quote, How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? It's a logical contradiction. It's a logical contradiction to be a true born-again Christian and live in sin, practicing unrighteousness. You know, you might think, well, maybe I don't live in sin, but, you know, my heart's been transformed by Christ, but I see faults, shortcomings, uh, sins here and there in myself that grieve me. 1 John 2, 1, uh, 2 verse 1 states, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Or you might think, but there's other things in my life. You know, maybe we could call respectable sins that are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, such as giving my time to things that are not necessarily of good spiritual value. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 
three. First Corinthians three, and we're going to just read uh, ten to fifteen, verses ten to fifteen. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by, uh, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that any one has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, friends, do you believe the Father has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing? in the heavenly places. Indeed, quote, granting all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, as Second Peter 1.3 states. You lack no spiritual blessing in heaven in heaven to be shaken by any trial that we're going to face on this earth. You lack no spiritual blessing on earth where you are unable to take care of the sin that you need to take care of if you are in Christ. Do you believe he has chosen chosen you who are in Christ, quote, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, that this isn't about you and what you do or have done, but it's about Christ and what he has done and what he is doing in the life of the believer. Perhaps you don't believe you are in Christ, that you've been relying on your own righteousness and have come to the realization that you utterly fall short of God's standard. Indeed, as Isaiah 64, 6 states that your righteousness, our righteousness outside of Christ is as filthy rags to God. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, He, the Father, made Him, 
Christ, the Son, who knew no sin, he was without sin, lived a life of perfect righteousness, fulfilling the law. Who knew no sin, he made him to be sin on our behalf. Our sin was imputed to Christ. And his righteousness imputed to us. The verse goes on. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. And Jesus says now, he says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. All right, Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your word. Father, I think about John Knox and how he said he never once feared the devil, but he trembled every time he got into the pulpit. God, we want to honor and revere your word as best as we know how. God, just pray that throughout the week that this might not end here, that, that we'd be seeking you daily in, in prayer, in submission to one another, Lord God, and, and reaching the lost with the gospel uh, outside, outside of these walls as well, Father. Please use us. Help us to be your hands and feet. And uh, in Jesus' name, amen.